in light of uh, this Monday uh, being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I wanted to take this opportunity um, to kind of divert away from our series for this week. Um, I wanted to pause just a little bit on our message series um, and speak on one of the main things uh, or one of the main goals of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and legacy. Um, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and being born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, I was engulfed in, in the history and in the story of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I also had the opportunity to meet uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. III. Um, I got an opportunity to actually serve at the church where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached uh, when I was younger. Um, they have a, a food um, pantry there, and as a Boy Scout, uh, one of our responsibilities, go ahead and laugh, yeah, I know. As a Boy Scout, one of of our opportunities, uh, our, our um, badges were that we had to go uh, several times a year and go and serve there. And so every time we went, we would hear stories of, of the history and the things that happened and the, the struggles and the marches and all the things that took place. And um, as I began to grow in faith, what I realized was that this goal, uh, uh, one of this, this main thing here uh, in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life was not only a goal of his life, but it was the whole reason why Jesus Christ came and died. Um, this, 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 this purpose, this, this thing, um, he had a desire for us to be one. He had a desire for us to walk in unity. And so today, um, my message is entitled A Call to Unity. A Call to Unity. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to go uh, verse 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through six. So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Verse 2, with all humility, forsaking self-righteousness and gentleness, maintaining self-control with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the oneness of spirit in the bond of peace. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. There is one body of believers, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in 
all. What Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus, and what I believe he's saying to the church in Woodland, he's laying out a call to unity. He starts by appealing to us to live a life that is in line with our faith, to live a life that is in line with the gratitude, with humility, with patience. He says that we are to bear with one another. What does that mean in plain English? He says you're to put up with one another in unselfish love. Unselfish love. Why does he say we got we to gotta bear with one another? We got to... Because sometimes... Hallelujah. Sometimes it gets a little difficult in families, in believers, in our walk. He said, it's going to be some moments that you're going to have to bear with one of your brothers and sisters. But he says that we are to do it. He's appealing to us. Then he says, make every effort to keep the oneness or to keep the unity of spirit. He said, make every effort, every opportunity, every single time. You need to make every effort possible to keep the unity. Now, I understand, I know this, when people hear the word unity, I know some of y'all is tight right now. It's okay. It's going to be a good night, I promise. But I'm going to explain to you what unity means. Because I understand that when you hear unity, people hear different things. And since we're a family, I'm going to go ahead and and, and explain it here to you. Uh, um, First of all, unity is not sameness. Okay? Unity does not mean sameness. It's not a a mundane, mindless copies. Everybody's exactly the same. That's not unity. Let's define it. Unity is distinctiveness going in the same direction in order to achieve a common purpose. I'm going to say that again. Unity is distinctiveness going in the same direction in order to achieve a common purpose. Unity is purpose-driven, not persons-driven. Okay? All right. All right. Let me, let me, let me explain. Let me, let me break it down. Let me break it down. I'm going to break it down. Okay? Listen. On, on this past Wednesday, my wife and I got the opportunity to go to see the Sacramento Kings play LeBron. I meant the Lakers. Um, we got an opportunity to go to the game, and in the beginning, we watched the Kings come out, right? We got there early. For some reason, my wife wanted to be there early, and now I understand why she wants to be there early because the traffic was ridiculous. But uh, we got there early right before everything happened, and the team began to come out. Now, what I saw in that moment was I saw different people with different positions 
with different backgrounds, but one goal. Distinctiveness going in the same direction in order to achieve a common purpose. Okay, so, so somehow by the grace and the favor of the Lord, because we was in the game, the, the Kings were able to soundly defeat LeBron, I meant the Lakers, and, and achieve a common purpose, something that to most seemed impossible. It may have seemed insurmountable. In the second quarter, it may look like it wasn't going to happen. But because they chose to work together, utilizing their differences to achieve a common purpose, they won. How? How? How did they do that? They, they used their distinctiveness, the, the different abilities and the differences that they had been given, and they used that together to go in one direction to achieve a common purpose or a goal to beat LeBron. I meant the Lakers. <laughs> What's missing, is Sarah here? I know she left. Okay. Yeah. Just make sure you let her know we won. All right. <laughs> What's missing in unity, in family unity, in societal unity, in Christian unity is the common purpose. Purpose. When everyone starts creating their own purposes, there will automatically be conflict. Because at this point, everybody's choosing a different goal. Everybody's going different directions. I can imagine if Buddy wanted to do his own thing and if Fox wanted to do his own thing, it wouldn't work. There's no way because everybody is uh, choosing a different goal line. But when we come together using our differences, that is unity. See, the world will make us think that our differences divide us. Uh, But apart from sin, differences are absolutely critical, absolutely uh, uh, essential, and they are eternally determined. Our differences are absolutely critical, absolutely essential, and eternally determined. I am more of a uh, big picture guy. I have great vision. I can cast vision, those kind of things. My wife is more of a, a nuance. Like she like, okay, that sounds good. How are we going to do all of these different, these small things? I'm like, I don't know nothing about that. I just got this, this big one right here. I'm going to leave that with you. And I, but what happens is our differences allow us to work together to achieve a goal. But guess what? I didn't determine that I was going to be like that. I didn't determine where I was born. I didn't determine my race. I didn't determine my ideal. I didn't determine that. Those things were eternally determined. Eternally determined. We have to understand that our differences are uniquely designed to achieve one purpose. And that purpose is to bring God glory. That is our purpose. That is our purpose. 
Now, I know that this concept of unity is very anti our culture right now. Uh, right now, we live in a world where division is what's celebrated and unity is looked at as something for the weak. It's, it's, it's looked at as something for people who don't know no better or what's worse is now unity is used as a tool for manipulation. It's looked at as a tool and it's like, okay, let, let's, 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 let's get together so that I can achieve what I want, so that I can look better because it looks like I'm unified. It's a tool that's, that, that's being used. But as believers, we need to know my very first point, unity is not optional. Unity is not optional. We don't get to decide when, where, and if we want to walk in unity. We don't get to allow culture, our emotions, our political opinions to decide whether or not we want to be unified. We don't get to do that. We don't, we don't, we don't get to do that. Unity is not optional. It's not optional. The whole message of the gospel is a message of unity. And when we actively become people who are divisive, when we act self-righteous and selfish and impatient, we disregard and disrespect the entire work of the cross. When we don't walk in unity. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, let's start in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now, what's going on here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking to, to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's explaining to them uh, uh, what has happened in their life and how God has been faithful to them and how God continues to work. And he's reminding them of who they were before Christ came and before uh, 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 God came and this sacrifice happened. And we pick this conversation up in verse 13, and it says, yeah, look at you now. He says, look at you now. Everything is new. And although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ by dying as our sacrifice. He has broken down every wall of prejudice that has separated us and now has made us equal through our union with Christ. Verse 15, ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code, the, the, the legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Jews and non-Jews fused together in himself. Two now have become one. And we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. 
For the Messiah has come to preach this sweet message to you, the ones who were distant and to those who are near. And now, because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. He says, look at you now. Once you were far away, but because of what Jesus did, because of, because of the, the crucifixion, because of his sacrifice, he has now made us all one. He said, we are one in the body of Christ. He said, ethnic hatred has been dissolved. He says, we are one new race. He said, through his crucifixion, hatred died. The whole point of Jesus, the whole point of the cross was Jesus uniting us. No matter what our bloodline was, no matter where we were, the whole purpose of the cross was Jesus uniting us to the Father. That was the whole purpose. We, everybody in here who was not a part of the covenant, are now grafted in by the blood of Jesus. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have unity. And the scripture says we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. It's because of Jesus that we have unity. And he says we are reconciled. We are all made one. We all sit equal because of him. See, unity was a big deal to Jesus. Unity was a, and is a big deal to Jesus. He cares about each and every one of us being united to the Father. And not only does he care about us being united to the Father, he wants us to be united together as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus cares about unity. In the Bible, we don't get many play-by-plays of Jesus' prayers. Scripture says he, we may be talking and we see something going on and he'll say, you know, uh, he went away to be with the Father. And another scripture will say, you know, he went to the mountainside to be with the Father or, or he went off to be with the Father. Uh, so we don't get many play-by-plays of, of Jesus' prayers. But there was one that was recorded in John just before Jesus is about to, to be shackled, just as about before they're about to take him away. And his main topic in praying, in this prayer, was that we would be unified. Now, me personally, if I'm facing the cross, which let's be glad I wasn't, and this is my last prayer, I'm probably not praying for anybody else. I'm just going to keep it real with you. I'm probably praying for me. I would have been like, Jesus, Lord, can you, let's, can you take this cup away from me? I know we already had this conversation. I figured I'd come back and check just to make sure you didn't change your mind. That would have been my prayer. But Jesus' prayer, before he's about to be hung on the cross, was about unity. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 
verses 17 through 23. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purpose and make them holy. He says, your word is truth. We're going to come back to that. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I have also commissioned and sent them into the world. The believers, he said, I sent them just like you sent me. He said, for their sake, I sanctify myself to do your will. He says, I'm setting myself, I'm, I'm dedicating myself to do your will so that they may also be sanctified. So that they might be set apart, so that they might be holy in your truth. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. He said, I'm not just talking about the disciples. I'm, I'm not talking about these right here with me. It's not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever believe and trust in me through their message. He says, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to, to Limitless Church in Woodland. I'm, I'm talking to each and every one of you. He said, Lord, I'm praying for them that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? Why does he want us to be one? Why, why does he say that we should be one and his desire for us is to be one just like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is one? He said, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. Verse 22, I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me that they may be one just as we are one. Let me tell you something. Whenever Jesus says something twice, you better pay attention. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected and completed into one. Why? Why? Why does it matter? Why, Jesus, are you praying this moments before you're about to be taken away? So that the world may know without a doubt that you sent me and that you have loved them just as much as you have loved me. So the world will know without a doubt, without a doubt, that there would be no doubt in their mind that you sent me. Not only that, but that you love them just as much as you love me. We worship a God who desires unity with his children and between his children. He could have chose to pray about anything and anyone. He could have prayed for his mother, who he knew would be days away from crying her soul out. He could have prayed for his disciples that he knew would be scattered and, 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 and would face something that they would have never imagined to face in their life. But he chose to pray about us. He chose to pray for us. And he said that his desire would be one just as he and the Holy Spirit and the Father are one. He said, Lord, that's what I want their unity to be like. 
He said, I want them to be, I want our unity to be like that. And he said, so that this world will know that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that God loves him and loves them just as much as he loves Jesus. So what does that tell me? That tells me that our influence on the world is uniquely and directly tied to the unity that we display. Our influence on this world is directly tied to the unity that we display. It's not tied to the amount of people that come to a congregation. It's not tied to the coffee. It's not tied to the singers. It's not tied to uh, how we dress. It's not tied to any of those things. Unity comes at a cost. You don't just wake up one morning and boom, you're unified. It's not that. Unity is tied to our display. It's tied to us loving one another, bearing with one another. It's great that we share the gospel with people that we love, but it's our unity that will actually cause them to believe our words. It's our unity that will cause them to believe what we're saying. I know unity comes at a cost. Unity comes at a cost. Unity will never happen without a fight. The enemy loves division. This world loves division. The enemy wants us separated from God and separated from one another. So that means we have to fight to maintain unity. And even today as, as you're hearing this, as some of you, it might be hitting you in your chest and you may not have even thought about this. But as you hear this message, the enemy will look to divide. But we have to fight. We have to fight against division. We have to fight for diversity. And we have to know that the fight will be worth it. We have to know that the fight will be worth it. So as you begin to think, as you begin to hear this message, as you begin to mull over and you, you search your heart and you, you think about those things that have divided you, race, elitism, theology, politics, ask yourself this question. Will these things remain an opportunity to divide you or will you allow this to be an opportunity for you to fight for unity? Will you allow this to be an opportunity for you to fight for unity? Pastor, how do we get there? How do we, how do we make this mind shift? How do we get to this place? I, I hear what you're saying. You're, you're breaking it down. But how do I get there? Let's go back. John chapter 17, verse 19. He said it in the beginning. He said, for their sake, I sanctify myself to do your will so that they also may be set apart, so that they also may be 
dedicated so that they may also be made holy in your truth. It takes a process of sanctification. It takes this process of renewing your mind in the truth. The road to unity is sanctification in the truth. If there's no truth, there can be no legitimate unity. And the thing is, many people have decided what their truth is. That's not truth. Just because you call it yours, oh, I'm just telling you my truth. Let me speak my truth. I'm not interested in hearing your truth. Truth is an absolute. It is an absolute objective standard by which reality is measured. It's not something that's subjected to what people say. It's not something that's subjected to how people feel. It's not subjected to what the government said or what they voted on. It's not subjected to popular opinion. Truth is an absolute objective standard by which reality is measured. Let me break that down. Simply put, truth is God's view on any subject matter. Truth is God's view on any subject matter. The word says, let God be true and every man be a liar. So guess what? If, if you say, hey, I get this, but you know, this, this, this is just where I'm at. Guess what the Bible called you? Guess what happens if the government goes against the word of God? Guess what God called the government? And, and when culture comes up against the word of God and it goes anti the word of God, guess what the word of God calls culture? A liar. Division happens when we try to create our own definition of the truth. When we move outside of this, when we move outside of what God has said, when we move outside of we say, well, well you know, this, this makes sense. And, and I, I could reason. No, 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 no. Let God be true and every man be a liar. When we all set our standard, when we set our mindset and our actions by the truth of God, by the truth of his word, and not the world and not the news and not what side of the aisle you're on. Unity is not only possible, it becomes a byproduct. We serve a God who desires unity. I'm going to read this again and I'm done. John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected and completed into one. So that the world may know without a doubt that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you have loved me. Today, I make the same call that Paul did to the church at Ephesus call that we would be united, that we would set aside those things that divide us.
and that we would be one. That we would do as the scripture says and make every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace, that we would each be all individuals working together to make the body of Christ successful. Because the only way that the city of Woodland will come to know Jesus and the only way that they will know that there is a God who loves them as much as he loves Jesus is by our unity. These things, these things that come up, no longer let them divide us. No longer let them divide us. We have to become one. It is hard. I understand. I get it. It is uncomfortable, okay? It doesn't feel good. Bearing with one another don't feel good. Hallelujah. The differences sometimes, they, they, we have to struggle. Ideology, theology, beliefs, these, these things we have to struggle with, how I was brought up, culture, these things we have to struggle with, but it doesn't matter. None of it should cause us to be divided. We should be looking for, you know what? I may not agree with that, but let, let me tell you why I do agree with you. You know what? I, I may not know all about that, but let me tell you what, let me tell you, let me tell you why you're my brother and sister, because you believe Jesus died, okay? You believe he rose, okay, then we good. Everything else we can deal with later. Why? Because I'm not trying to have a theological debate or a political debate or a culture debate so that we can find an area of division. I'm just going to stand on the unity that we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That is it. That is it. And so as we move into this year, as we move, as you go home, as you walk out, as you're with your family, as you come up with that coworker who constantly gets on your nerves, let us be one. And he says, the way that we become one is by constantly renewing our mind with the word of God, by balancing everything we believe on the truth of the Word of God, making the Word of God our foundation for everything, and striving, striving to be one. Unity is everything. I am excited for what's going to happen in this city and what God wants to do in this city. I'm excited for the revival that's taking place. I'm excited. I'm excited. Every Saturday I come in here and we see new faces and new people and I hear testimonies about healings and families and restorations and these things that are happening. But I also understand that the enemy will try to divide because that's just what the enemy does. Strive for unity. Strive for unity. Not sameness, but distinctiveness. All of us, each one of us have been given gifts. Each one of us has been given different ways that we do things, different ways that we think, and all of that pushing together towards one purpose. 
for God to get the glory and for the city of Woodland to see revival. That is what happens when we become one. Heavenly Father.